Need a little gavel in the session to order. Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. Today we are doing the second part of our Hunger Games episode with Kira Sullivan and Maddie Hart. Hi guys, thanks for coming back. And thank you for having us. So glad to be back. Where do you want to start? Where did we leave off? For all those listening, we... (laughs) did part one of this and then we were we all talked to each other like that was awesome that was great like when can we do this again I have more to say exactly I feel like a whole podcast like a whole podcast series can be done about Hunger Games so it's like I mean I could do like page by page but I feel like we we did the first book a lot and we kind of started the second book so maybe we pick Mm -hmm. up yeah yeah we didn't quite dig our teeth fully into there but we nipped we nipped at catching fire I want to put my claws in there because that's the best one. I was going through just like every 10 pages or so in the last like hour just flipping through. And there's so much like little, little details. But let's jump into Catching Fire. It feels so good to use my brain this way. Like, <laughs> and I am sure you guys relate as people who like grew up reading, whatever. Like it is feels so good to exercise my like AP English high school yeah. brain. I feel like that was so pivotal to my personality, like at growing up. And then it's like, mm-hmm. you graduate school, you finish school and you don't quite get that. Like I, not to plug my TikTok, but I recently <laughs> had like a series go viral because I was just analyzing like Taylor Swift songs, like from an English mm-hmm. kind of major perspective. And it just felt so good to be like, I'm looking for themes. I'm looking for like symbolism, like, oh my gosh. And so I really... I love doing that. And this has brought me so much joy. So that's all I have to say. Wait, I'm, I'm like so the same way because I was never smart at math. Like I was always on on grade math. Everyone was in like higher placement math, but I was the one girl in AP literature. So in our school, the highest grade you could get was like a nine. It was like unheard of to get nines. Like if you did a really good essay, you got like maybe like an eight minus eight plus. I went on a streak. Of getting five nines in a row, I did become like a living legend. Wow. And I basically they would give you like prompts for the essays, but you could also just like write your own essay if you want. And I just like psychoanalyze the characters. And so like that girl, she still lives inside me. Mm-hmm. The girl who got nines in AP literature, like that is my claim to fame. You know, when people are like, you're every age you ever, you, you've ever been like, you're not 30, you're not just 30. You're also 25 and 20 and 15 and yeah. 10. It's like, that's you, you're AP, yeah. you're AP literature. And you're <laughs> also like New York city. Like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's all it's in you. I contain multitudes. <laughs> exactly. There it is. Where do you want to start, Erin? Oh, I have no idea. I have a little list of like things happening in 2009. Top song, boom, boom, pow. Uh, 2009 is when Catching Fire came out. <laughs> Just pointing out, this is fun year. Bernie Madoff pleads guilty. Unemployment reaches the highest rate in 26 years. Same-sex marriage is being like argued in the States. Three allow it and 31 block it. Sonia Sotomayor becomes the first Hispanic Supreme Court justice and the third woman to serve on the court. I really Ooh. remember that. Um, and Obama, yeah. For some reason, when Sonia Sotomayor got nominated, I was like, this is a win for us. And I was like, who is us? (laughs) I was like, I'm a part of this. I mean, the first note I have is just that it's stupid of Gail not to take Katniss's money that she gets from winning the Hunger Games. Like, if you really need to feed those kids, Gail, what's the priority here? Yep. Gail's toxic masculinity and like his toxic like pride and arrogance throughout this book is just so repugnant to me. Like genuinely, he doesn't take the money. He like makes her feel horrible when like, you know, she tries to give him like gloves from the Capitol or whatever. Like he is just so I'm above it. But it's like you're acting like you're so honorable, but your family's starving and they could literally benefit from you just taking Cadness's money. Not to be all annoying, but I bet if, <laughs> like, if Katniss wasn't a woman who he sexualized, I'm sure that Ooh. he would be a lot more willing to take that money. Like if it was a guy friend or a brother or something like that. Yeah, Gail- and if PETA wasn't there, Gail would be proposing marriage. Okay, wait, like- can we talk about how he's like kind of like salty because like Katniss was pretending to like PETA in the Hunger yeah. Games? And like Gail, like 
she was fighting for her life in yeah she was gonna die gail (laughs) was actually in a public broadcast gulag so maybe we can like (laughs) let those things slide and look forward we can look to the future are you happy your friend is home Gail, are you happy? Give her a hug. I I feel like Gail's a really good example, though. Like, the type of guy I feel like we all encounter in real life who, like, who is a good guy, except for the fact that, like, because Gail is a, like, a good person. Like, he's Mm -hmm. a good friend to Katniss. Like, he cares about people. He cares about freedom and stuff. But also, like, this kind of element in a lot of like quote-unquote good guys we know that's like a side to them that's like really toxic and fucked up but it's just like patriarchy and toxic masculinity yeah yeah Yeah, he never like asks her how she is like you know (laughs) she's literally like that's such a good point me and gail ever since the games we never like talk deeply anymore so that that implies that he's he's never asked her and therefore she's never told him and two he's so upset that she you know did the whole PETA thing but he never told her that he had feelings for her so it's like he just expected her to read his mind i'd be slightly more sympathetic to gail if like before the games he told her i'm in love with you and like felt this way whatever and maybe she said the same thing and then she went on to do the PETA thing I could be like okay sure that stings but mm-hmm. I'm like you've never communicated with this woman in your life your entire relationship with her she's been starving and on the brink of death yeah You're she's not been picking than- up signs she's yeah, been busy that's so relatable of like a guy <laughs> never telling a girl how he feels and then when she like does something that hurts him he's like fuck you it's like how could she possibly have known Gail how you've never never expressed interest in her until she started flirting with another guy let's talk about that i hate that (laughs) also the thing that kind of confuses me about the gail thing is like katniss's kind of like inexperience and naivete when it comes to like romantic feelings really makes sense for her character because like she's someone who's in survival mode all the time so i feel like gail should also kind of be in that space and i feel like he is in the first book at least mm-hmm. but then in the second and catching fire he's suddenly not in that space anymore and i'm wondering like what happened in between like was it watching katniss in the games that like made him realize this i think probably also like he's willing to run away with her until she's like and i'll probably also take Peta because or else he'll be murdered yeah and then he's like we're over like you know what i mean it's like bro like PETA will be murdered unless, you know, we're over. He was keeping Katniss like on hold. He's like, she'll always be there. I think he was, I think a little bit jelly beans. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've been in that situation so much in college. Like I had several quote unquote guy friends, like quotes around friends where it's like totally friend zoned me or whatever. Not even that I was like interested, but then whenever I would hook up with anybody else, I had these certain close guy friends who would get really jealous or like be very drunk and confess like, Maddie, maybe one day we could da da da. Like, you know what I mean? And it's, and even guys who I had liked in the past who like rejected me and were like, let's be friends. And then I was like, great friends. And yeah. then only later when I was like flirting with somebody else where they like, actually I'm interested. And I'm like, no, you just kind of see, you want me on hold. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the I feel like that's similar to that. Yeah, and I feel it, but I feel like there's also this other thing of like I've experienced this before where like sometimes you can see someone as absolutely 100% a friend and then they say one thing and then suddenly you see them like as a sexual being. Yeah. And you're like, what? Say more about that. What do you mean you've like, experienced I, well, like, that? One time I had like a, a friend in college who I was like totally friend zone, like, like literally have no sexual feelings like for this man. And I like, we were like hanging out and I said something like, oh, I don't use pencils. I only use pens. And he said, good girl. And like walked away. And I went, oh, okay. I think that's less about that person and more about you. What I'm doing right now, but in the, in the zoom video, I'm climbing, like holding onto a wall while I fall. I went, ah! <laughs> one, one word. Sometimes it can change everything. Wow. That's a good example. Mm-hmm. Anyways, back to the Hunger Games. <laughs> maybe if Gail, maybe if Gail just said "good girl" to Katniss, yeah, literally, because Peta is so smooth. With yeah, like got that riz that Gail just doesn't have. The very first time I read this, the very first chapter, as soon as Gail got introduced, I was like, "That Hemsworth does not have what it takes to play this character." Because mm-hmm. even like, don't love Gail has charisma. Like, he's like 
like gonna and maybe not be a revolutionary but be like a leader in it and I was like this this boy doesn't have it but Peta like really really has that and like Peta's kind of flirty yeah he is like remember in the first book in the caves she had that moment where she was gonna try and manipulate him and make a moment in order to get food but then he said something genuine and she has that line where she's like suddenly I wish I could close the shutters just so that I could have a private moment with Peta without the audience like he mm. does. He knows how to use his words and he's he's flirty. He has that riz. And yeah. Gail does not have that riz. And in the second book, Gail is so infuriating because he just acts like a little baby the whole time. So entitled. Yeah. Like Susan Collins, she's been like, I just know that she's through <laughs> what I've been through before. You know? Like I know that we've walked such similar paths in this life. Because the characters she puts in her books, I go, I know him. Yeah. Know her. I met him. He was on my college improv team. He was <laughs> Gail. <laughs> Gail was in my on my college improv team. Peter was, let's see, my first ever boyfriend who I was really mean to. Um, yeah. Amitch is um my current toxic situationship. I'm trying to funny. <laughs> oh, that is a question Gail. I had though. When I was looking at Tumblr when I first finished the books, there were a lot of people very thirsty about Hamage. Is that a phenomenon you experienced at all? yeah yeah okay yes no yeah. say more <laughs> like yeah like obviously well he's like, I don't know like there's well here's also the thing is I do kind of like the phenomenon of when there's a love triangle and suddenly there's like a random person to the side who you're like wait what about them yeah like when like the the romantic or sexual focus isn't on someone at all but you're like well what about them no, with Katniss? No, 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 but like just in general. Just like, in, I, yeah. I like, oh, like, I like seeing the sexy people on the side. I agree with that. It's the same thing with like Finnick. Like, I'm so thirsty yeah. for Finnick, even though I never want him with Katniss. With Haymitch, it's like, I'm sorry. This has been <laughs> so ingrained in me as somebody, a girl who grew up on like Tumblr, whatever, like with John Green novels, whatever. Like, I love a tortured soul. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. And it's, yes, it's gotten me into trouble time and time again. <laughs> Yeah. But honey, honey, if he is sad, I'm gonna want to fix him. And Haymitch has that. He has that yeah. it factor. He has that it factor, which is um being sad. very sad. He's very, very sad and very, very tortured, but also like a bad boy. Yeah. Of like he I completely see why people thirst after him because mm-hmm. he like falls into he's not a love interest, but he completely falls into like tortured bad boy trope with a heart of gold. And like the love of a woman is gonna turn him around. Yeah, when Katniss and Hamish like drink together after the quarter quell announcement, like that is such a little powerful moment where you're just like, fuck, I see the cyclical impact of these games on these communities because it's like they just can't escape it. It's just like going to keep them down for forever. And I feel like that's a very poignant moment. Yeah, yeah. Hamish's alcoholism, we forget, but actually we don't because it's like core to his character, but we didn't really touch on that last time. And I feel like we had yeah. a big. I was so devastated that. In the end of book three, he was, in terms of his, like, alcoholism, seemingly in the exact same position that he started with. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That was really heartbreaking. Haymitch is an amazing character. He really mm-hmm. is. And, like, I think we talked about this last time, too, but the way that he wins his own quell is unbelievable. And, like, and the fact that that isn't revealed until book two is pretty amazing because it yeah. means in book one, all we get really painted is this guy, he's an alcoholic, he's a loser, but these tributes he kind of pulls together for but then in the second book we really get his tragedy he was extremely close to that girl quarter quell whatever almost died himself like it was basically a bleed out competition like whatever and ever since then yep his entire family's been killed everyone's been killed like we don't get any of that until the second book and I just feel like that's amazing it just colors in everything and it also what's interesting about the fact that we only get that in the second book is it de-emphasizes that versus if we got that in the first book it would be like well, here's Hamish, and it's a huge deal that this all happened to him. But yeah. it's almost like Suzanne Collins undermines it almost as if saying, like, it's not, yep, this happens to every tribute. Like, this yeah. happens to everyone. Like, we're not even touching on this until the second book because, like, there's a million other things that are going to get touched on. Like, it just really shows you, like, how big the scale of devastation is. Yeah, and I think also, like, Suzanne Collins is really good about, like, I love it when authors are really, really smart about, like, when they release information if that makes sense like the timing like I'm sure she knew Hamish's backstory when writing the first book but like it didn't make sense to drop 
that in there because also like Katniss has no experience with the games mm-hmm. the only thing you need to know is like Hamish is an expert on it because he's been in the games and won like that's really all we need to know for like why he's an expert but in the second book it makes a lot more sense to like go into his backstory and be like oh no like he's actually kind of like a Hunger Games god he actually was in like the hardest Hunger Games of all time and, yeah. and came out on top now you're like completely understanding why he can look at even like a bigger game of all the victors together and give Katniss advice and like speak as an expert on this it makes a lot more sense and Suzanne Collins is just a genius for like how she sprinkles in backstory yeah we want to just go maybe like kind of chronologically like I don't know like maybe if we start with the first section of the book before the quarter quell is announced like is there there's so much to say I know yeah, I think yeah, we should probably go chronologically. Okay, let's let's do it in the beginning. Yeah, I'm looking. President Snow shows up. He says, "Hey, bitch, you got to convince me that you love him." I love the way he's described he as says, like so scrawny, so frail. These big old lips. Okay, now we're also talking about the President Snow Katniss mm-hmm. chapter. I love President Snow. He is the best villain ever. And I love a villain who, I love it when villains, number one, have kind of like a one-on-one relationship with the protagonist in like a way of like, President Snow isn't talking to Peeta like this. He's not talking to Hamish like this. He's only talking to Katniss like this. And like, can we get inside his head for a moment? Like, why? Why her? Why is he choosing her? I feel the exact same way. And it feels almost like you don't even get the sense that he hates her, by the way. On a personal level, he actually levels with her. He tells her because she says, well, the districts must be really fragile. And he doesn't even get thrown by that. He's like, yep, but not in the way that you think. And he just literally explains. He's like, yep, here's the thing. Like, here's why we have the Hunger Games. And if one district uprises, they all do. And you know what happens? Then the whole thing falls and we don't want that. Like, he really really levels with her but he's also fucking lethal he's also like yeah and i'll fucking kill you and your whole family but it's in this way that feels so personal but also impersonal it's like it's just business to him like that's the craziest thing is it's not like voldemort and harry potter where voldemort has this deeply personal like harry potter represents my weaknesses he's tied to my soul presidents now it's like fuck here's this whole uprising that's happening here's the girl that sprung up as the figurehead logically as a businessman i'm going to talk to that figurehead but i know it's not really about her but also it doesn't matter that it's not about her like that's what's so stone cold about it in a way that's so unique in terms of villains yeah there is like a level of begrudging respect he has for katniss which is and and kind of also like katniss also like deeply hates him he's like the most evil man but there is weirdly like begrudging respect between both kind of of like they both he plays the game so well Mm -hmm. like she's so scared of him she's like i know he's the most dangerous person in the world these books have the best political intrigue i have ever seen like shut the fuck up game of thrones like this is the machinations the machinations of it all but also before the games can we talk about Peta? kind of also pulls a gale though like in the beginning of the book where he's like cold to Katniss because yeah. he was like we're real and you're we're not like he's kind of like I think Suzanne Collins was really smart and being like no matter how good your man is sometimes he's gonna act like a stupid guy yeah. and both Gail and Peta are acting like stupid guys at the beginning of Catching Fire Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, he literally blames Katniss for not being in love with him, but he was the one who pretended to be in love first, quote unquote, pretended. Yeah. But it's not like she initiated that and then said, oh, just kidding, I was lying. Yeah. He initiated that. And he and Hamish purposefully didn't tell Katniss that they were going to do that specifically because they wanted her to look surprised for the cameras. Yeah. They made this whole plan and left her out of it. And then when she plays along, he is mad that she's not actually in love. But that yeah. was it. You were going to say that and she was just actually going to fall in love with you? Right. You're so right. That is so similar to, especially to how Gail reacts when she gets back. It's like, why did she not read my mind? <laughs> like, girl, this girl is just trying to live. Exactly. For a break. Man. You know, it feels like kind of unlike Peta's character to be so butthurt by it, but also like he is kind of like a teenage boy. Yeah, who also just so like almost time. died. Yeah, who <laughs> almost died and like truly did love this girl. Huh. So sad. Okay, should we go on to the when they get to the um Yeah. 
Oh, or I had one last thing. There was just a great detail when they're having like some big banquet beforehand and they reveal this thing where people are drinking things so they can go throw up and then come back and keep eating and keep drinking. Suzanne! Oh, I know that was when I read that in the book, I literally like closed the book and had to walk away and like yeah. while like so mad. That banquet is amazing. One, the moment of silent understanding between Katniss and President Snow that she failed. Incredible. And again, it doesn't feel personal. He's just literally like, you failed. It's iconic. Yes, that moment with the pills. It's obviously so fucking disgusting. But she even has this reflection where she's like, I think this is actually earlier, but she's like, if I grew up in the Capitol, what I would would be doing this. And it's like, I don't know, maybe you would. Like, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. And I I really respect that the book asks that question instead of placing all the blame on these people. But especially after we just watched Rue's family get shot and they're and watching like all these districts suffer to end in the capital where they're taking pills. That way they can enjoy the feast. It's just haunting. And also like the way they have to be like dressed up like Christmas ham to go. Like, I don't know. It's just so evil. The whole thing like to end. Yeah. To end it in the capital where they have to be basically like, they're little dolls being paraded around for people in the capital. It's really evil and sad. And then the, f- the food thing really got me. I, st- I think about that often. There is never a detail wasted, even with, I think this is in this book, Darius, who's one of the peacekeepers in District 12, becomes an AVOX later on, just to talk about the tightening grip of the capital. But like, I don't know that the detail about the throwing up really comes back, but it is such a precise an incredibly communicative example of what this life is like. It is just so sharp. It's phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal Gosh. writing. Yeah, because it just encapsulates the entire gap between the districts and the capital. It's like they say that, that like that's no big deal. Meanwhile, people are starving. That one detail encapsulates like, oh, this is literally why the districts are uprising. And this is also why the capital people don't understand that the districts would be uprising. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they just don't even understand that that's a problem versus yeah. the districts are starving. So it's just like this fundamental misunderstanding that can't be mitigated without revolt. Yeah, it's like very much of like what you said about like it reveals a lot about also like what people in the capital know like the fact that these people in the capital are saying this to people from district 12 with no like social yeah. awareness of like how that would be an extremely tone deaf thing to say right. to like anyone to district 12 is like that also makes you ask a lot of questions of like what do they think district 12 is like and is this thing of like they must know that people in district 12 are poor and hungry but hunger isn't like real to them it's just like a concept it's not like a literal thing people go through and yeah it's something that happens to other people yeah yeah I think what you said about the details mattering I don't know a single person who has read or watched the hunger games who has forgotten the detail about the like throwing up at the banquet thing Susan can we also talk about my worst fear as a kid was becoming an AVOX? No, baby. I'm really scared. In my head, I was like, that's the worst fate that could befall anyone in the world. And they're just like background characters. I don't yeah. know. It scared me. The fact that it was like. It's so- normal for them, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the fact that like there are people there who had their tongues cut out. They can't speak. And now they're like slaves. And sometimes they wear weird masks. I was just like thinking about myself in the Hunger Games like the worst thing that could happen to me and becoming an A-box easily that mm-hmm. and the thought that like they're just in the background yeah. so many things very yeah, the, the world building is amazing because again it like de-emphasizes details that it's like dude a whole fucking book could be written on becoming an A-box but yeah yeah, that's like its own dystopian tale. But like Suzanne is just like, nope, that's a detail. Hamish's whole backstory is just a detail. Like that just like puts into perspective like how fucked up and dystopian this world is. The Avox thing is crazy. Like literally taking your voice away is just like obviously so metaphorical. It's so good. Yeah, and well, then also the way that like so many of them are like traitors or like rebels or dissenters. Mm-hmm. So it's like actually the saddest thing in the world that yeah. like those are people who like spoke out and like tried to fight for freedom and like now they're in the background of this like dinner table scene. It was like stuff like that that really got me. Of like yeah, like Darius's like crime is like being merciful to the people of District Twelve. Oh yeah. yeah. Also that, like, sorry, the peacekeepers are so ACAB. <laughs> like, but literally, like, they are. Yeah, Suzanne. 
it's funny, but it's like Katniss says like, oh, Darius is always good for a laugh, whatever. Like he does try and speak up and he gets punished. Like it just shows you that like a system like this, you cannot Mm -hmm. be like an actual good peacekeeper. Like the system itself is so messed up that like it doesn't hold the capacity for somebody to do the job in an ethical way because it's just like inherently dehumanizing. And when I'm watching the movies, I feel that so strongly because it's like you see just the thousands of peacekeepers like descend upon the protests and you're just Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is like fucked. Yeah. I really feel bad for the AVOXs. Sorry, let's move on. I'm just going to keep thinking about them. For anybody who's listening, um, she is literally tearing up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm actually (laughs) wistfully sighing. I don't know. It's just they have to wear those weird ass (laughs) outfits. Also, like (laughs) anyone watching, like, Maddie was like, I'm going to drink some wine. And so I made myself a white Russian and they're mm-hmm. wrong. Of course, so I, drink glass. <laughs> I have a date after this, so it's also a vibe. What a perfect pregame. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I told her that I was like doing a Hunger Games podcast before this. She was like, okay, slay. Is this a first, a second, a third date? It's a first date. We have mutual friends. And oh, perfect. Okay. So I posted this TikTok where I was basically like, I'm fucking insane. And I I seemed disgusting and, and insane in it. And whatever, she commented on it being like, we've matched on Hinge before. And like, I think you didn't respond or something. So then I responded to that comment being like, okay, well, if you want to go on a date after seeing this horrible TikTok of me, we can. And then she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So now we're going on a date tonight. Isn't that funny? Oh my <laughs> gosh. I know. I yeah. Soulmate, soulmate. Wait, <laughs> God, I have seen what you've done for others. I <laughs> one is it my turn. <laughs> Okay, back to the Hunger Games. The next thing I have is they're entering on the chariot into the big celebration. And it's a longer quote, but I can't help catching glimpses of us on the huge screens along the route. And we are not just beautiful. We are dark and powerful. No, more. We are star-crossed lovers from District 12 who suffered so much and enjoyed so little the rewards of our victory. We do not seek the fans' favor, grace them with our smiles, or catch their kisses. We are unforgiving. And I love it getting to be myself at last the arc from book one to book two Mm -hmm. incredible well also i like that like cinna beforehand is like here's what i made for you here's how i want you to wear it it's also one of those things of like everyone's pissed off they have to do this again Mm -hmm. like every single victor is like fuck you and i like that cinna sees katniss's rage and is like i'm gonna give you a fashion moment yeah is gonna let you like release that anger. I wanna talk about Cinna, but I just wanna throw one more thing in. There's this quote in the first section of that book where she's mourning her old life and she says, but I knew where I fit in. And I felt that so much. Damn, so true. And she's like, now I'm not, I'm not capital anymore. And mm-hmm. I'm she's like, I'm not district 12, but I'm not quite capital. That's yeah. incredible. It's so true. And that's like probably what Hamish has felt for years. Yeah. It's a wonder Hamish has not tried to kill himself in the sense yeah. of he's had no one, but also even people who like don't have anyone they love in their lives can still feel like they belong to a place. And the way Candace is describing not belonging mm-hmm. after the games is really awful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you think the only reason Hamish hasn't killed himself is because he like knows he needs to be like a mentor to the victors? Yeah. Who else will like- these kids have? Mm-hmm. he doesn't have family he doesn't have friends he doesn't have anything the one thing is he's like i probably can't leave behind like these tributes yeah should we transition into the games with senna's dad okay, okay yes but the one thing i want to say before yeah. is the train scene where she's like well what are some things that are real and he's like i like orange but yeah. not sunset orange the way that that little conversation <laughs> And it comes back around. That little conversation is just a thread. We're all giggling. You guys can see it. Maddie has her head in her hands right now. The second (laughs) I brought up the sunset orange scene. Like, that was beautiful. I'm going to cry. Yeah. Her favorite color is green, like the forest. And Oh, my God. I was editing our last talk. And I think you, I'm not sure who said it, but we were talking about camouflage and someone said like, PETA is so of the earth. And I was like, you know, who's of the sky? Of the wait, guys, we just, wait, let's, let's just sit with that for a second. Maddie left. Maddie left. <laughs> <laughs> just to reiterate for the listeners, what's been discovered is 
PETA loves the color orange, like sunset, like because that's of the sky, and a mockingjay is of the sky. Meanwhile, Katniss loves green, which is like forest of the earth, which is um, you know, PETA's very grounded. He's like her rock. Connections. You know, when this like book and especially when the movie series came out, it was very marketed based on Twilight of like Team Gale versus Team PETA. And by the end of book three, Suzanne Collins literally like writes it out and is like, no, Gale's wrong. Gail is the wrong choice. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, like boo Gail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the end. We don't like him. You know, this book almost gives, in that sense, this book almost gives Little Women in terms of like the whole Ooh. thing. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking about this now. Little Women, the whole thing was that the author did not want to give Joe a love interest, but then mm-hmm. like all these fans and all these people who read like the first one and her publishers and all these obviously men at the time, whatever, were like, well, women only like romance. So you have to write in a romance. And so she kind of was like, fuck you. And then threw in this like haphazard one at the end, whatever. But that's kind of what Suzanne Collins is giving with this, because it's almost like, especially if what you're saying, it was in the heat of twilight, the love triangle was huge, like whatever. It's like, I'm sure she had a lot of pressure to include Mm -hmm. romance and she did, but I'm sure that she partially was like, I'm going to do this how I want to do it and show that like for a woman, a lot of times romance is just a tool to survive, especially like in our society. So it's just like, it's just giving little women in that way of like the writer being like, fine, fuck you. I'll do what people want, but I'm going to also make kind of a meta commentary on it as I do it. It reminds me of Sarah Bareilles' breakout single, Love Song. Because actually, before I was thinking about the little woman thing too, because it's like how Timothée Chalamet, Timothée, is like, I figured you would love me, Joe. That's what Gail is giving when he's like, Mm -hmm. well, aren't you in love with me? Like, I just kind of assumed this whole time. Yeah. It's a thing of like, I wouldn't have invested this much time if I wasn't going to get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, it's like not even pressure to have romance in it because PETA feels so much her vision. I think it's just Gail. Anyone listening, if you guys like weren't around for the Twilight era and like the level of love triangle mania we had, like anytime two men were on screen, society said that's a love triangle. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere you turned. Yeah. We are going to okay. do Twilight on this podcast. I don't know why, but it's coming. <laughs> it's been claimed. Yeah. Yeah, their arc is insane. Mm-hmm. The Cinna stuff, do we want to do that? No, the Cinna of it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm tipsy. I'm like crying about the orange quote. I'm like, Good. Everything I talk about, I literally am like wistfully sighing. Avoxes, <laughs> orange quotes, everything about it, it's making me so emotional. I took so few notes in book two. I it was just breathless. I loved the clock. I loved the pearl and it like just being in her pocket the whole time. I'd love to talk about, we talk, mentioned Finnick would be, I, I'm not sure when in the book it is revealed, but that Finnick is essentially being handed out to people to have sex with is perhaps the most horrifying detail of the book series. It's up oh, you there. Mean it's like actually a sex slave yeah. being trafficked. It's actually horrifying the way that like everyone in this book has the worst life in the world. But well, Finnick exactly. especially... Well, okay, I would say maybe a good starting point for the second part is like the victors as a whole. It is so interesting because we watched this arc in the first book. All the tributes are against each other, obviously. It's a very individual game. But then this second game, it's obviously very unified. They're all friends. They do have respect for each other. And it's almost interesting because it's like, I remember we talked about last session, how it's so interesting, how even the careers... When it's time for them to die, they are just kids. Yeah. And like, you know, we feel sympathy for them in that way. Because when everything is taken away from you and you're just literally about to die, like you're just a person. And I feel like we get to see that with the victors because it's like they've gone through that whole journey. And so now it's like, it doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, what district they're from. Like they are unified because it's like they know what it's like to be stripped down to that basic basic core of just like wanting to survive and I just feel like that is such a powerful engine and President Snow completely underestimated them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the way that like even the careers like join hands with all the other tributes the way they're all pissed off that they have to do this again yeah it's so interesting because also you think about the careers and like their personas the ones who won the Hunger Games you think they're gonna be dicks but then you think about it more and you're like they probably are made to have this persona yeah and snow like they probably were kids who volunteered thinking it was one thing didn't know what they were getting themselves into probably like just as traumatized as any of the victors they they don't want to go back in yeah and I think like even 
the Hunger Games or any of it in this world would be so interesting from the perspective of someone from the career districts who go in and like who first off probably have like had almost no choice in their life of what you want to be and then you go in thinking it's this noble thing and instead it's a bloodbath and then you get back and it's still awful the way you know this book is amazing is you could write a spin-off from the perspective of any single character yeah. in this book you could write a spin-off from like a guy who has one line in this book and it would be the most interesting perspective in the world yeah you could write an avox spin-off so quick and then oh my god, god like, guys Avox Justice, Justice for Avox. <laughs> I'm demanding Suzanne Collins. Like, what get happened on the phone? The revolution. Can we get them to talk again? I need to know what happened to them. I think about them all the time. Oh, Katniss runs into the rebels in the woods and then like, well, for me, it's just like so crazy where it's actually so set on leaving mm-hmm. until she sees people who are suffering and she has this like really big revelation where she says the one thing that makes me still want to run away is prim but i realized like this has been there before prim this will be there after prim like after she spends this day in the woods with the rebels she kind of realizes that this problem of like inequality and like the capital and stuff just like really transcends her own individual relationships so that's when she like changes from wanting to save her family to like i'm gonna actually do the rebellion i think that's interesting she has to like absolutely yeah Should we talk about the mechanics of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, clock. Amazing. That alone, amazing. And then also that girl, oh, what's her name? Nuts and Bolts. But what's her actual name? Oh, I can open this book and find it. Beatty and... uh, Beatty and... Maybe. Joanna's nickname for them is like Nuts and Volts. But what's their actual name? Sorry. Sorry, guys. We have to look it up really quick. I feel like such a fake fan. Oh, my God. How she kind of goes crazy after getting drowned in blood. But then she keeps on going TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. She's like, even in the worst of it, she is still like trying to save each other. She's still She's on smart. it. She's amazing. She's thinking. The way that Katniss actually listens to her when nobody else will. Slay. Um, yeah. Where it's like, I completely understand Joanna being like, shut the fuck up. I completely get that. That would probably honestly be me in that situation. But Katniss is better than I am. Wyris? W-I-R-E-S-S? Yes, Wyris, Queen Wyris. All hail. And Mags. What a devastating death. Yeah, Finnick tries to carry her and she like kisses him on the cheek and, and goes in. And also the way she volunteers for Annie and the Annie Finnick of it all. Because mm-hmm. also like Annie isn't quite all there no. or she's, it's hard to tell. In the books, it seems like she's really not like mentally all there. But yeah. in the movies, she seems kind of normaler towards the end. But in the books, I remember it being like, oh, she kind of went crazy yeah but then they get married guys i mean it's crazy i mean they're basically on a parallel track in terms of like Peta and katniss like they're just another couple that's been like torn apart by the games over and over yeah yeah and you wonder like who else in the world can understand that who else has been through that experience this is something that I wanted to touch on with Gail in that, you know, Gail can never really understand the experience that Katniss had. But last time we talked about in book three, the bomb that kills Prim, you guys both seemed like convinced that Gail dropped it. And when I read it, I obviously haven't read it as much as you guys. And I, it felt up in the air, but I just wanted to, you both seemed like, no, it was Gail. And I, I was dazzled by that. I'm pretty sure it was Gail's plan. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Gail's plan. And I also think it's like, I forget because I read this a few weeks ago, but um, (laughs) maybe I should look at it. But I think he knew that Prim was going to be there because she was part of the medic unit. What a dick. I'd have to find the... Well, and also because Katniss like sprung forward or something and Mm -hmm. and Gail pulled her back in a way that was preemptive in a way that felt like he knew, if that makes sense. But I would have to reread that section. Mm -hmm. I also like them killing Cinna right in front of her before she's entering the games to like oh fuck her up that was so rude and mean and cruel also to Cinna like the fact that he dies making the Mockingjay dress and that mm-hmm. was such a moment it was beautiful Cinna was obviously like part of the rebellion in terms of like yeah Mockingjay mm-hmm. whatever but to what capacity do we think that he was like has he been from the beginning like you know what I mean 
I really wanted to talk mm-hmm. about this. Yeah, I thought I took notes on something. Yeah, looking through the first book, at some point, it's Sinai's idea when they're on the chariot entering for the first time for Peta and Katniss to hold hands. And she says, like, why is he linking us together if we're going to have to kill each other? And that also made me spin because I was looking for sort of signs of like Peta's strategy, like we talked about last time. And at one point, before Peta reveals the crush thing, he starts to ask Hamish to train solo. And I wonder, you know, I don't doubt that Peta like had a boyhood crush on her, but what if like he and Hamish together come up with the strategy of I'm going to say this and we're just going to follow it through and that like Peta is sort of on the same track with Katniss of like finding themselves in this thing and then finding it to be true. I would be very surprised if Peta said I have a crush on Katniss thing Mm -hmm. without talking about it to Haymitch first. And it feels like Haymitch and Cinna were very much like on the same page. This is such a little like out of pocket theory, but I'm like, I I hear all of this, but I'm like, still (laughs) though the districts are separate from the capital and Cinna is somebody in the capital. So I'm like, I don't know if like Cinna and Haymitch were on the same page. Probably though, you're right. But I'm like, gosh, if anything, Cinna would be on the same page as like Plutarch, you know, like somebody else who's a revolutionary in the capital. Or mm-hmm. is that just somebody who like kind of independently wants a better world, mm-hmm. but isn't necessarily tapped into like the revolutionary plan? That's a prequel I want is in a story. Again, with the like, you could write a spinoff from the perspective of anyone. Can we also talk about how he's Lenny Kravitz in the he's film? Lenny Kravitz. That's actually crazy. <laughs> Perfect. That, that he's like, he is Lenny Kravitz. Truly all-star killer cast. Amazing. Yeah, let's talk about the mechanics of the game, but also the environments of it all. Yes. The clock, genius. But also interesting that it's not... The first one was very much like randomized mm-hmm. violence. It's interesting that they created something that could be figured out. Yeah, I think it's like more messing with your head than the first one. I think there was like a clear sense of game maker. What does God do? Intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was definitely there in the second book, but it was that I think that also made it scarier in a way that this thing is just set up to like infinitely run and kill us. But I think also maybe can you see from a Plutarch perspective of, you know, that Beatty and Wyrus are part of the revolution like, you know, that they have kind of gone in being like, we're going to die for Katniss. That's right. what we're ready to do. Creating a game where, oh, um, I wonder if President Snow, like, looked at the game and, like, figured out that it could be figured out. Or if this was something that Plutarch made and was like, I know only, like, the smartest people in here can figure this out. And I also know that those people are going to be aligned with Katniss. Like, I'm wondering if he created the game in that mind frame. And that's such did a good point. President Snow know about that? It's tough to consider. Yeah, I wonder how much time President Snow, we, we kind of touched on this, but like spent knowing Beatty and knowing Wyrus and like knowing their mm-hmm. current sort of uh, state of mind and how they would be going into it and the, the role that they would play. The, the thing that keeps coming back to me anytime I think about these books is I think in the third book, they say like Katniss only becomes the Mockingjay because we just like stopped paying attention enough to District 12. And we talked about like, this could have been any girl. I don't know, as soon as you look away, they're going to start fighting for themselves. Wait, can yeah. we talk about, I've always pronounced her name like Joanna or is it Johanna? I think oh, it's Joanna. Oh, I said Joanna. Yeah. Okay, I've always, I've always said Joanna. Yeah. Let's talk about her because I love her, and she's such a good addition. Oh. And the characters added in book two, honestly, like fan favorites. Finnick, yeah. Joanna, Not wasted. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, literally everyone. She's so fun. It's also interesting of like why is she trying to like get into Katniss's head at the beginning where she's. Like, she's also going and trying to save Katniss. So she just, like, can't not. That's what I, like, love about Katniss as a protagonist is the thing that she could have been ever- anyone and she actually isn't special. Mm-hmm. And I think Joanna sees that and gets that and so fucking is, like, annoyed because she's like, you're not special. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, unfortunately, you are the figurehead of this thing that I believe in. So whatever. Like, I think there's even... um. Joanna definitely says some lines like that where she's just like, mm-hmm. whatever, like I'm just saving your ass for the cause. Mm-hmm. But I, I know, and I'm always like, oh, different people are parallel to Katniss, but it's like Joanna could have been the Mockingjay too. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. 
the timing had been different and that this had been different. And if she had been in the blah, blah, blah. But in terms of like a fighting spirit, a will to survive, et cetera, that's mm-hmm. Joanna to a T, but it just wasn't her because it's fucking random. It's random. And so I think Joanna resents that. Not necessarily that Joanna is like, oh, I want to be famous or whatever. But I think Joanna is just very much like Katniss is a bit of a means to an end and she's not actually special. But then I think later she yeah. gets to be close with Katniss and realizes that she actually is great and whatever. But you know what I mean? Like it could have been Joanna, but it just wasn't. Also, I can totally see how jo- Joanna would be someone who's super fucking pissed that Katniss basically put her back in the games like they all know that like the reason we're doing this quarter quell of victors is because of Katniss Mm. it's because of Katniss and Peeta if I was Joanna I'd be like oh my god fuck this girl yeah so many victors must have been having been so traumatized and tortured it's like you should have just fucking stayed quiet and we wouldn't have to do this you know that what's also the we were talking a lot I feel like last episode about Katniss's kindness and Mm -hmm. how that creates solidarity and I feel like we really see that with her and Finnick of like she doesn't trust Finnick at first she like sees that like Hamish has given him the ring so she's like okay you have some kind of deal with Hamish but she still is really like wary and untrustworthy of Finnick until she sees Finnick interact with Mags Mm -hmm. and the way he like brings her water and also like tries to save her and is really upset when she dies. And I feel like at that point, Katniss, even though she's like still a little wary, I think she kind of like fully trusts Finnick after that. Well, and especially that moment when Finnick saves Peta's life. Exactly. Yeah. That does something to Katniss. And it does something to Finnick too. Later, Finnick's like, when I realized you were actually in love with him, I realized- I, I love That's that. That's the moment. That's- yeah. He's like, I misjudged you. And I feel like that that is a moment. I think that they're both like that. Like the fact that Finnick like is in love with Annie, who's kind of broken, sorry, but she's obviously like amazing and has been through so much. But there's a tenderness mm-hmm. in Finnick with Mags. There's such a tenderness to Finnick mm-hmm. and there's such a tenderness to Katniss. And they have these walls. For her, it's her like cold standoffish thing. For him, his sexuality is his weapon and his like barrier. But I think like mm-hmm. they really are such a good friend duo because it's like, they get it. The girls who yeah. get it, get it. Yeah, and they're so- yeah there's even a moment I think in book three when someone is asking maybe it's Deli how how Finnick and Annie got together and what their relationship was like and he he said like she snuck up on me I didn't originally love her and isn't that exactly how I I love that moment Maddie is fully home alone face oh my gosh no literally because it's like Annie is this like sweet very earnest person Mm-hmm. Finnick was probably felt like he was too jaded too broken to like love somebody like that but it happened anyway and it's the same thing with Katniss and Peta thought you know she's like I'm too jaded he's too good for me he's the baker's boy like I'm the seam whatever but it's like that tenderness is like what these characters crave and I feel like Joanna could have that side to her except for like oh, she yeah. doesn't have anyone she loves and like she says that when she's like wait number one like the parallels of also like Finnick and Katniss being the ones to get trapped with the Jabberjays, and he's oh. hearing Annie, and she's hearing Gale and Prim, and then also how at first Finnick is the one being like Katniss, don't worry, but then he like he hears Annie, and she's like they they copy, like how do you think they got that sound? And them like going through that together, I feel like was also such an interesting moment. But like Joanna says. I am not afraid. They can't hurt me. They've already taken everyone I love. And I feel like Joanna is a really good example of someone who probably does have a tender side like Finnick and Katniss, but like her Prim, her Peta, her Annie like is gone. Yeah, she's very much, I think, like Haymitch paralleled. Why did they kill Joanna's? Why did they do that? I forget. Probably because like she's Joanna. I don't think they ever like what exactly happened. Yeah, and I think just with how Joanna was, like, very meek and then turned it, like, very vicious at the very end, I think she might, like, President Snow might have seen her and been like, this one is going to be a problem, so, like, preemptively, let's Look, just... Why do, why do I ship Joanna and Hamish now? Because I'm like, wait, yeah, thematic parallels. And Joanna kind of struggles with substance abuse issues with the morphling. Morphling. 
addiction in the third book. I love that idea. I also think <laughs> so toxic. I, I think, like a household I would not want to be in. Have you guys seen that Tumblr post that it's like, if he's your man, then why is he my thematic parallel? It's very that. I haven't, but I, I love, love that. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Finnick, Joanna, Beattie. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about the brains of it all. I love that it's like a little breakfast club and everyone has their special yeah. talent. And- yeah, yeah, I kind of like love the crew that mm, they come up with. I like that like everyone kind of goes in caring about someone. Yeah. Like, except for Joanna <laughs> again. Like she has, Joanna like, a- like cares by obligation. He was like, he got killed like the first second. Thanks a lot. But also, can we talk about the the breakfast club moment when they all kind of gather on the beach and then Peter and Katniss share a smooch. I'm literally going to cry. That was so beautiful. Peta gives her the locket that has Gale and Prim in it. I'm like, that's not a stupid boy anymore. That's, that's a, a man. man. Like he thinks that she loves Gale. And so even though he's in love with her, he's giving her a photo of Gale to be like, you have to survive. You have to win this. Like, even if I die, that is like something that Gail could never do. Yeah. That is really like Peta is the best of men. Peta is like, you can love someone else, but I will still love you. It doesn't end. Again, yeah. the fact that he accepts that, makes peace with that, and is still in love with her. But then also the fact that she is someone, again, who like isn't fully thinking about romance the way these boys are, but the way she kind of has this realization of like, well, I need you. Like, because uh, he says like, no one needs me back home. And she's like, I do. And it's so interesting because it feels like something like when she says that, like she's also realizing it for the first time mm-hmm. in a way. that and when Finnick says the thing where he's like I realize that you love Peta with your reaction to the whatever it's like we are kind of going on this journey with her in terms of her discovering her own feelings which is so fun mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. Gail could never Gail could never when Katniss was like I want to save us and our families and Peta Gail was like nope not running away oh it deserves <laughs> to die like, what versus Peta is like go home to Gail you could be with Gail Mm-hmm. Just please live. But then when he twists it and he's like, for the baby. I love the baby of it all. If it weren't for the baby, the world was never the same. The world? Okay. The Earth's rotation it was, it was a world stop. The way <laughs> he brought the lights of the capital down. If it weren't for yeah. the baby. He had the people of the capital standing up out of their seats going, stop the games, stop the games. 74 years and they're stopping it for this hypothetical baby. For Bro. this little five ten man. Because he has that it factor. And the way he like smirks. <laughs> well, because that's the thing. It's also, it not only is it, if it weren't for the baby, it's also... We fucked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is such like a, you know, shallow read, but it's just like, that's obviously so poignant, even just looking at our own fucking like abortion laws. Like it's like people care so much about this hypothetical baby, but Mm -hmm. once the baby is born, people don't give a fuck. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, this book just like shows that so well, because it's like, these people have watched children be murdered year after year after year but the second that there's this pure hypothetical mm-hmm. baby that's what they want to stop mm-hmm. the games for yeah it's last so... year they were fine with like, killing the these two kids not like the yeah, well, yeah also, not the children and not the not the poor people of the of district 12 not the hungry people in district 11 like they don't give a fuck after you're born but when it's a hypothetical pure little fetus they're like, right oh, they don't give a fuck if katniss dies but if there's a fetus inside of her then oh like she can't die the fact that Peta understands that genius that's my well, boy like, yeah, she already got married because we wanted our love to be eternal <laughs> no one does it like him no one and also i loved their kiss on the beach it was really beautiful and gorgina to me i wish you guys could see us the emotion that is being conveyed on these screens, we, there have been several times where Maddie has had to get up and walk away. That where leave the chair. Erin with her head in her hands. There have been so many times I have wistfully sighed. I've bitten my knuckle while talking about these books. The things that they have done to us. I'm telling you, we need to release like a ten part podcast on it. Every page. We <laughs> Something that's interesting about the Jabber Jays mm-hmm. is like it's the one that we know of, of the 12 clock, whatever, the one that isn't actually physically dangerous to them, 
Oh, not the worst. It's all mental. Yeah, because everything else is like you get caught in the fog or you get caught by the tidal wave, you get caught by the whatever. It's like the jabber jays is truly just, we want to destroy you for an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's like actually we want to like psychologically torture you. This was a throwaway detail. I don't even remember in what book, but Katniss says that they preserve arenas after the games so that people can go for reenactments and vacations. I had a grandfather who like, was a historian so was at a lot of like reenactments and I always viewed that as like you losers get a life but now it is like that's horrific we're gonna play war for fun wow that's really fucked up also about the PETA thing when when they find out it's the quarter quell Katniss goes to Hamish and is like PETA lives I don't and Hamish is like you know PETA was here a fucking hour ago like, you know, PETA came actually two minutes after this was announced. And the way he tells Katniss, you could live like a hundred lifetimes and you would never deserve that boy. Wait, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Hamish like reading her. Well, and Hamish says the same thing when the proposal or whatever first happens. And Hamish says, you could do a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Hamish is yeah. literally like, girl, <laughs> grow up. Yeah. <laughs> Hamish like, is like, I want this boy. Yeah, if he I'm weren't a child, him. he would be my honey. Literally. But it's it's true, like the also the way that both of them go in being like they exactly. live, not me. That's one thing I think that sets this book apart is that the intensity of their relationship, like I have never experienced anything like it. And the whole time I was reading it, like if they were physically separated, like if they were not touching, I was in pain. Like how can you they- go? Th- yeah, how can you go through that first game with someone and survive and not? physically sew yourself together i'm surprised that the, you know sorry that katniss ever did like romantically resist Peta. i do get it obviously yeah. but i am just like you're so trauma bonded it's surprising that then you went six months without talking they literally they did not talk between the games and the six month like tour of the districts that's so crazy to me like poor girl she was just yeah. alone and same with him like and wow. those were so interesting she's like trying to find a hobby and that is such an interesting experience of her being like I have never been asked what I want to do with my time like I don't know how to have hobbies or want things or chillax you know what that it reminds me of mm-hmm. that reminds me of and I've always felt this when I watched the D'Amelio show and in season two, Charlie and Dixie, or maybe this is season one as well, they both decide they want to sing. But it literally feels so arbitrary. It feels like, okay, you got famous at 18 for nothing. Sorry, I love them. Love you guys if you're listening to the pod. Yeah. Thanks. Like, you guys blew up overnight. You guys were normal kids and then you blew up overnight. And now you're famous for nothing. So now you have to like pick a hobby. Like it's like both of them are like, well, I kind of like singing. And Charlie's like, I, I, I liked to dance in the past. So then they make it their like entire careers, but they don't even seem to like it that much. It literally reminds me of this. It's like, you just suddenly have everything you could ever want. So what now? Yeah. Well, and also this thing of like, we, we didn't touch on it before, but leading up to the games where every time Katniss has nightmares, Peta, Peta oh. comes in and is like, are you okay? And she's like, can you stay? And the way that he fully thinks she's in love with another man, but he still like just holds her all night. Like I am obsessed with them. They're so important to me. And like how how little must Peter think of himself? Or maybe he thinks of himself fine and that's just the power of love, but that he will help this girl who loves another person fall asleep because he just cares that much. Mm -hmm. Let's talk the ending. Yes. The the arrow heard round the world. Going against the very arena, again, similar to the first one of like using the games as a weapon, like yeah. going themselves, uh, very similar to like what Hamish did. Mm-hmm. Not going against themselves, like going against the makeup of the arena. Yeah. The infrastructure very, of the system it's very, itself. Very cool. But also her reaction to when she finds out that PETA wasn't saved, they couldn't. Oh did the rebels know that she was going to do that? Because it's like, they're just right there when when the whole thing crumbles. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Plutarch must know because he's got yeah. audio-visual feed on everything all the time. So I feel like Plutarch being the like master of the games, being the game maker, he must know. But also it's interesting that they say like it was always the plan to get you out. What was their plan going to be? I wondered if they like ran drills. 
if they were like, at any moment, Plutarch is going to give us the signal that the shit is hitting the fan and we have to have a system in place and everyone man your stations. And I think we end up seeing kind of that in District 13. But also, again, it goes back to the thing of like, how much did Plutarch tailor the games to specifically not Katniss, but BD and Wyrus? Because BD yeah. is the one up with this idea. Wyrus is the one who figures it out. But also, they never could have predicted that Katniss was gonna like, go AWOL yeah and that Hamish did not show them the footage of the way he won his games they had to go out and pursue that information you were saying Maddie your hand is on your heart I'm gasping well maybe they did depend on the fact that at the end Katniss would kind of go rogue like maybe that was actually integral to their plan like maybe they didn't know exactly okay she was going to shoot the force whatever but it's like Maybe they did know, like at the end of the day, Katniss is not going to play by the rules of the Capitol. And we're actually depending on that for mm-hmm. a rebellion to succeed. So maybe that was part of the plan that she was going to go rogue. Because if she didn't go rogue, she wouldn't be the Mockingjay. Dutter! She's the MJ. She's the one. The Mockingjay. No one will defeat her. Also, the again, the Finnick-Katniss parallel. Their friendship is so beautiful to me at the end, where Finnick also... He says, like, they have Annie, and it's both of them. Like, Annie and Kida are such parallels of each other. God, fuck, that is so awesome. Like, me, I'm like two glasses of orange wine. (laughs) I'm like, like, this book is amazing. It is. It's like in any other book you read, the protagonist is alone in their experience. Harry Potter, he is the chosen one. And the whole thing is that he's the only one who could ever understand what he's going through. Twilight, you know, fucking what's her name? Bella. She's like the only one who knows the secret and like da da da. It's always like this protagonist is the only person who could ever understand this experience. What is so Mm -hmm. unique and amazing about the Hunger Games is that time and time again, it shows you Katniss is not the only one. Katniss is one of a million people who are experiencing this devastation and that's why it's so important that it's overthrown but that is so unique like Mm -hmm. no other book makes such a point to be like yep that's one of a million like everybody's going through that like that is so that's such a good point and like that's a perfect analysis of like why this book is and also why this book has side characters who are so beloved yeah of like Finnick has a fandom of his own in the heyday of Tumblr, I did not see like Hunger Games edits on my dashboard, but I saw Finnick Annie stuff that got all the way to me. And yeah. I- and like the way not only it's like the larger uh, symptoms of oppression are shared, but the specific things of like yeah. Finnick and Katniss both have very innocent, good people that they love and they have both been taken from them. They are actually both being held the same place. And Finnick and Katniss being able to like be there for each other in Mockingjay is really beautiful. Yeah, the Finnick-Katniss friendship, again, like everyone is experiencing the same thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is sort of going back a little bit. It's so funny that Katniss never realizes when people are really trying to save her. Like Mm -hmm. in the first book, she never realized that Peta was on her side. And in the second book, same. Like when Joanna literally bites the tracker out of her thing, Katniss is like, Joanna's trying to kill me. She's so stubborn. This is what me and my little sister were discussing when we FaceTimed to analyze this. We were both like, Katniss is kind of a dumbass in a lot of ways. Well, is it that or is that she is she just that unfamiliar with kindness? Yeah, with someone doing something else. This is the connection. This is the overlap with doing um, Catcher in the Rye earlier today. Is she just that unfamiliar with kindness that she can't recognize it? Yeah, I mean, she's taken care of everybody else her whole life. So I think the second that other people try and take care of her, she's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, She's like, what what are you doing? What's your angle? Girl, I'm literally just saving your life. Yeah. But I could see how Joanna would be annoyed the whole time. Oh my God. Like, I'm saving this girl's life and she's giving me the side eye. Eventually, PETA finds out that Katniss is alive, but how horrible must it be for Joanna to know they're over there torturing Annie and she has someone hoping she's alive and they're over there torturing PETA and he has someone that wants to know that he's alive. And I'm just fucking here. Everyone has the saddest life in the world in these books in a way that like stays with me in a way that keeps me up at night 
they're all just hoping for a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's like Joanna has no other motive to do to be part of the rebellion other than because she's like, I just want to end it. Yeah. What and else also, am I good for? I think actually Joanna is a really important character of and I think the books would be remiss without her in the sense of a lot of the people in them, like Katniss and Finnick and and Hamish in a way, like they're surviving for other people. But yeah. I do think it's good to have a character like Joanna in there who's just like, no, I want to survive because like I deserve to live. Like I don't have anyone I love. They've taken that from me. But like, I am not going to let these fuckers win. I'm going to take them down however I can. But also like she goes through so much. Like as far as we know, her whole family, anyone she loves has has been murdered she goes back in the games she gets captured along with Peta and annie like no one's like running up to her hugging her when she yeah. gets out but she still is just like no i'm gonna survive and like i'm going to live and i think that's a really cool character to have in a book where so many of the characters are really living to like protect other people yeah damn does anything else happen in book two that's like worth talking about guys i fear we're gonna have to do a part three. Oh, oh yes <laughs> oh, guys i fear i fear <laughs> indubitably yes <laughs> if you guys are good with that i'm down for that like i yes. so, like honestly and like this could these could be regular episodes you could even make a spinoff of just oh 100 percent. 100 i have one last question have you either of you guys read parable of the sower by octavia oh. butler no. okay I read it in like January. These books could not exist without that book. It, you know, obviously different worlds, but like this is sort of like the beginning of the dark days or like leading up to the dark days. It is a difficult read, but I really recommend it. It's very much like it is as prophetic, if not more than these books about it was written in the 90s and where we are today. Really right. Wow. Oh, okay, I was, is there anything else in book two that's um let me think of anything we said? Hey Mitch. The whole thing being a clock, that one moment where Katniss sees that it's water and she's like, Well, they're trying to extinguish the girl on fire. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Plutarch, Plutarch reveal, head of revolution. Uh the mocking Jay moment is very interesting when he shows her the mocking Jay and she's so confused when they're dancing. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. But also again, like I love Katniss to death. I understand she's mistrustful, but again, like uh-huh. <laughs> Katniss, he's telling you. <laughs> President Snow gagged. President Snow gagged at the end. That's always fun. Yeah. I feel like I worry that if we keep on saying mm-hmm. like what else happens, we will be here all night. Oh, yes. And maybe by the next time we do this, the prequel movie might have come out. I haven't finished dun, 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 dun. reading the book. If but... we do the last one and the prequel movie. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much to Maddie and Kira for coming on. What an episode. This one is going to be posted a little late because I have things to do. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. I almost burped. You're welcome that I didn't. You can find me everywhere at Aaron R. Bowles. The R stands for Rhombus. Next week, we will be talking to Max Gross about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in less than two hours, I'm recording our Twilight episode. So I gotta go. See you next time. Love you.